Well, it is so good to be back with you. Some of you are probably thinking, where have you been? Others of you might be wondering, why, why did you come back? Well, if you didn't know, uh, I have been away for the past few weeks studying and, and planning and spending some uninterrupted time with my family. And I may be biased when I say this. I, in fact, I know I am, but uh, there is just no place uh, like home. There's no place like Crossroads. I love what God is doing, and I am so excited and energized about our future. And didn't Rick Kyle do a great job leading us through this past series? <clears throat> And Ross, our Newburgh campus uh, high school pastor, did amazing two weeks ago as well. In fact, I am so sick of hearing about how great they did, okay? Uh, this past week, a guy approached me. I was just out and about, and he said, you know, we, we've really missed you, Pastor Gonzalez, but <laughs> Ross and Rick are just doing amazing. Yeah, thanks for that, you know. <laughs> Well, hey, if you're tuning in right now online or uh, at our West Campus, we're glad you've joined us. We're beginning a brand new series today called uh, Grow that, that we're really excited about. Now, if you've been around church for any extended period of time, you've probably heard something that goes like this, okay? Salvation is this free gift that we receive from God, but it's not just something that, that we receive. It, it's not just a gift, but it's also a growth as well. Okay, salvation doesn't just rescue us from punishment, but it also teaches us to live a better way and it helps us reclaim this life that we were actually intended to live back at the beginning of time. I don't know if you know this, but one of my favorite hobbies in the entire world is restoring vintage cars, okay? And uh, my dad and I have done this for several years. It all started uh, back when I was in high school and a neighbor of ours uh, sold me his, uh, one of his German cars that was from the late 50s, okay? And when I bought this car, it was all rusted out. Uh, the transmission was pretty much going out. The uh, carburetors had been corroded to a point where whenever you turned it on, it sounded more like a lawnmower than a V. I mean, this thing was, was kind of a clunker. It was a piece of junk, okay? And this thing was, was several decades old. And, and you see, the, the older it got and, and the more it had been driven and the more owners it had, the, the further away it got, got, the further away it was from the original condition that it was intended to be when it rolled out of the factory in the late 50s over in, in Germany. And so the restoration process took about 18 months and, you know, the, the value of a car really is dependent upon how original you can keep the vehicle. And so that was our aim and, and that was our goal. And, and after about a year and a half, I'll never forget looking at it. Once it was finished, the restoration process was all done and it just kind of was like a step back in time looking at this piece of art and, and driving it down the road. It, it was amazing. And, and I had this thought when it sat in our driveway. Okay, as I, as I looked at this car that had been completely restored, it, it was a long process to getting there. I got it. And what do I mean by that? I, I understood, I understood what the original engineers and designers of this vehicle, okay, intended for this car to look like, what they intended for it to drive like whenever it rolled out of the factory in the late 50s. Now, you and I both know that there's something about life that, that we tend to navigate through different circumstances, absorbing different scratches and, and scrapes. And some of us feel like we are just one pothole away from just completely losing it. Do you feel like that? You see, it, it was never intended to be this way. 
Sin and, and brokenness and, and loss and, and pain and betrayal and, and hurt is the result of living in a fallen world. And, and it's actually kept us from living the life that God has intended for us to, to live. And, and you see, never, never is this more evident in our life than when we experience disappointment. This is how, this is how it goes for me. Okay, I'm, I'm often disappointed at, at the person that, that I've become or the person that, that I am. I, I'm disappointed at times that I care so much about what people think of me. I get disappointed when I might say or do something just to you know, get a laugh or earn respect for someone that, that I admire. I, I wonder, am I enough for my family? Am I enough for, for my kids? I'm disappointed at times, my, my lack of, of prayer, my lack of faith. I'm disappointed that I don't read the Bible more and... You ever feel like that? Have you ever just taken some time out of your life to pause, reflect, and, and think about the person that you're becoming? Are, are you the individual that, that you imagined you would be? And so in this series, grow, okay, that, that word grow, uh, we, we can use and we might be using the same term, but all of us might have a different definition of it. Okay, so throughout this series, we're going to be defining growth like this. Growth is about who you become, not, not what you do. It's not that what we do isn't important. It actually helps shape who we become, but the main goal of growth is who we're becoming, all right, Jesus didn't just enter this dark and broken world and, and die the death we deserved on the cross and then defeat death three days later, later by, by walking out of the grave just so we could get to heaven when we die. That, that's part of it, and that's an important piece, but the other reason why Jesus came to this earth was to reclaim what was lost and broken and to restore back to us the life that we were meant to live. Jesus said it best like this in one of his biographies in the book of John, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life, okay, and have it to the full. We could also translate what Jesus is saying here like this. Hey, I've come to remove every kind of obstacle, every kind of barrier, all the rust in your life so that you can fully experience the life that, that you were supposed to live from the beginning of time. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. And, and confusion over this idea was really the reason why a guy by the name of Paul wrote a letter called Colossians that we are going to be uh, studying throughout this series. If, if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians now. Okay, Colossians can be found towards the back of your Bibles uh, in between the books of Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one in front of you or in the seat below you. That's our gift. You feel free to uh, uh, take it with you when you leave here a little bit later, okay? And we're gonna pick up right at the beginning of Colossians uh, chapter one. Now, as you're turning there, it's important that we understand a little bit of the context of, of what's happening. Right, th this church was only a few years old when these false teachers started permeating the Greco-Roman world, the first century world. And, and these teachers started walking around promoting what we now refer to as Gnosticism. Okay? Gnosticism was basically the combination of a bunch of different philosophies and pagan beliefs and, and other religions. It was kind of like the junk drawer of, of beliefs. Like you just you didn't know what else, you just put it all there, right? And so it was a combination of all these different views. Use, okay? And you see, the result was that people ended up really confused about who God is and what Jesus did for us because a part of Gnosticism was, was completely denying the claim that Jesus really was the Lord, th that he is God, he is a sovereign creator. And so these, these early Christians, these new believers had received Jesus, began trusting him, but... 
They were really failing to live out who they could become. And, and so that's why Paul wrote this. Look at verse three. Paul says this. He says, okay, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, Paul says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood, grasped, comprehended, received God's grace. All right, now I want you to Reverse, and, and notice in verse four, how faith in Christ, okay, and, and loving God's people can't be separated. Paul makes that really clear from the beginning. Bitterness and disdain towards others are like weeds in our life that will choke us out from really growing to be the person that God intends for us to be. All right, we, we then read that the gospel is bearing fruit and is growing all throughout the entire world. What in the world does that mean? Okay, that word gospel can be a little bit confusing. And, and in this context, what Paul is referring to is the truth that the next life, heaven, can be experienced in this life. That's all been made possible because Jesus defeated death for us. And so the gospel is really the truth that the next life can be experienced in, in this life by trusting in, in Jesus. Now, it's one thing for us to, to receive that. It's one thing for us to hear it, maybe, maybe believe it, okay? but it's something completely different to actually align our life according to it. All right, it's another to live your entire life by, by what God says is right, true, and best. Now, this doesn't mean that we're gonna uh, somehow arrive at perfection later on in life, but you see bearing fruit, growing in your faith means progress. It doesn't mean perfection. It means progress towards a new and better, and better life. Now, you and I both know uh, that there are certain behaviors and maybe physical features that we naturally associate with the age of a person, right? I mean, this is just a very general assumption that, that we make for the stage of life that someone might be in. I mean, for example, I've, nobody's ever seen a baby with wrinkles wearing dentures, right? I mean, anybody? <laughs> nobody's ever seen an, an elderly person wearing skinny jeans, you know what I mean? Well, that's not a great example because Rick Kyle preached last weekend. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's true, okay? <laughs> now, we have that assumption about the, the natural physical world, but in the spiritual world, the, the same can be said as well. Uh, this past week, I gotta tell you, I uh, uh, was putting together this big wooden swing set for uh, my three kids, and I was uh, you know, uh, carrying it around, and this thing was really heavy, and I strained my back. I woke up the next morning, okay, and I had the worst back pain ever. Right before I walked out the door uh, to go to work, I, I was bending down to tie my shoes, and I just decided to sit down because that was just much easier and less painful, and, and I literally had this thought, come across my mind for the very first time in my entire life. I mean, it was kind of like a turning point, uh, midlife cry. I don't know what you call it, but, but as, I'm, as I'm sitting on the ground with this back pain and I'm like, it's just much easier to sit down, I thought to myself literally, what else can I do while I'm down here? <laughs> right, I share that with some of our staff and they're like, hey, you're 30 years old, you shouldn't be thinking like that for at least another 20 or 30 years, right? And that's true, it's true physically, but if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us, there hadn't been, there hadn't been much 
progression and maybe our, our character or our integrity over the past five, five or, or 10 years. And there's been little growth in your life. You see, grace is not permission for us to keep on sinning. Grace is not an excuse to to lack maturity in our life. In fact, Paul, in another letter called Romans, goes so far to say that, look, the proof that you've actually received grace and embraced the gospel in your life is that over time, you, you live out this new life. Restoration happens. One of the fancy Bible words to describe the moment that we're saved is this legal term, justification. It appears about 222 times in various forms throughout the back half of the Bible, and it communicates a double transaction whereby, okay, God completely removes our unrighteousness through Jesus' substitutionary death in in our place. Okay, so, so an exchange takes place, but it doesn't just stop there. When you lean your life on Jesus, okay, God places all of the goodness, listen to this, all of the goodness, all of the righteousness, the character, the integrity, the purity of Jesus Christ upon you. So that's literally what the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth sees when he looks at you if you've leaned your life on Jesus. That's why some scholars refer to this as the great exchange. Okay, but, but then there's sanctification, If justification is a position, then sanctification is a process where we learn day by day to grow into our new identity as a child of God. In other words, sanctification is about who you're becoming as an individual. Is your life looking more and more like Jesus? Are you living more and more like God intended you to live from the beginning before sin entered the world? And you see, all of us are producing some kind of fruit in our life. And yet in the church, that there's little visible difference between lasting fruit and, and fruit that, that's maybe rotting from the inside out. Somebody that uh, has been battling cancer in our church told me this past week when I asked him how he was feeling, he, he said, you know, uh, on the inside, I'm just a mess. I'm all torn up. I'm just, I'm just falling apart. But on the outside, on the outside I, look, I look pretty good. I look strong. I look healthy. Perception isn't always reality, is it? And so if this is a process, what does progress look like? What are some maybe indicators of maturity and growth? Well, Paul picks this apart and describes things, starting in verse 9. He says, for this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives Okay, right here, Paul says that, that he's been praying for, for their guidance and decision-making. The Greek word we translate as fill means to be controlled or, or to move towards completion. It, it conveys this idea of a process, right? The fruit of all of our lives is the result of what's controlled us, right? What we live for, what, what, what the basis and foundation of our life has been. And you see, the direction of our life is literally determined by little decisions that we make every single day. And if we're honest, a lot of us, we're we're anxious about the future. Some things seem a little bit uncertain, right? But you see, peace, peace happens when we surrender control and we align ourselves with Jesus, who Paul later says in Colossians 1, holds all things together. That's why Jesus made the point in the Sermon on the Mount to say, look, worry is useless. Don't don't worry about tomorrow. So the first indicator of growth, first indicator of growth looks like this. Indecisiveness in your life happens less. 
Okay, this isn't an exhaustive list of what growth looks like, and neither is this list intended to be used as a weapon, okay, to apply it for your spouse, for your best friend, someone that's hurt you. No, because growth can't happen unless you first take responsibility, okay? So, so, so don't give in to that temptation, but, but let me ask you this. When the pressure is on, when you're stressed, okay, how well, how well are you at making decisions, what are you like to be around whenever you're anxious, when it just seems like the, the world is, is weighing on your shoulders? Do those who are closest to you say that it, it's tough for you to, to pull the trigger on a decision? It, it takes you a long time. You see, sometimes our indecisiveness is the result of, of confusion about our future or, or doubt uh, about who God is. James was the half-brother of Jesus and and the author of a book in the Bible, and uh, he said that the person who is conflicted on the inside, he used this metaphor, he said that person is like a wave out on the sea blown and tossed about by the wind, all right? Our indecisiveness ultimately reveals a lack of confidence in who God is, right, and his promises. And James also went so far to say that that individual, those of us who struggle with with decision-making, that 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 person is like uh, uh, someone who is double-minded and he or she is, is unstable. And I gotta be honest, sometimes when I am indecisive about a choice or direction, it's because one of two things is happening. I have an inflated view of myself or a minimized view of who God is. You see, when I, when I put a lot of pressure on myself, it's because I think that I will somehow miss out or mess up God's will, his plan for my life. There's this narrow path, and if I make one bad decision, then I'm off the path, but that, that's not how God works, okay? His grace promises to sustain us even when we blow it, even when we make mistakes, and, and Jesus will catch us. We later read this in, in verse 17 of chapter one, that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is this glue holding life, the universe, t- t- together. And let me just, let me just apply this t- to your world, okay? Jesus knows your future. All right, he, he's well aware of some circumstances that you're about to walk through that you have no idea about just yet. One of the titles for Jesus is that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, he was there at the beginning. He's the creator God, but we're also promised that he will have the final say, Omega, the ending. He, he's sovereign. He, he's, he's good. Let's keep going in our text. Verse 10. Paul says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every single way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing, growing in the knowledge of, of God. All right, I remember in seminary learning a lot about the Bible and seeing things that, that I'd never seen before and learning things I'd never learned before. And I had this thought one day, man, the more that I learn about who God is, the more I realize I really don't know anything. And you see, an indicator of pride, on the contrary, is always thinking that you've figured God out, right? You can always explain him. It, it, he, he makes sense to you, right? And yet, that, that's, that's not how God works. <clears throat> that's the opposite of actually growing closer to him. And so the second sign of progression goes like this. All right, Jesus is bigger and better than you imagined. He's bigger and better than, than you imagined. Are you surprised by Jesus the more you learn and know him? Throughout the 
biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, one of the most common things that people experienced whenever they encountered Jesus for the first time or they saw who he really is, his identity became very clear to them. All right, that they always were a little bit fearful. They were like struck in, in awe, okay? But then this emotion, this overwhelming feeling was followed up with something that went like this. His disciples, his closest friends would say, truly, truly Jesus really is the son of God. You see, growth is, is understanding the depth of our sin and yet shock, surprise, that Jesus still sees us for who we're becoming. In Colossians 1 verse 15, Paul states that, that Jesus is the firstborn, okay? He, he's the firstborn over all creation. And so this literally means the entire universe from the stars to the galaxies, okay? To the whales in the ocean, to pine needles, to all the atmospheric gases is subject to Jesus Christ. He, he's holding all of those things together. You know, I think one of the number one reasons why Christians fail to really grow in their faith is because is because Christians are holding on to an imaginary Jesus that's just been, that's just been created out of, of comfort or, or convenience. And so what we tend to do is, is we view Jesus kind of like as this cosmic therapist who can help us with our problems. Jesus is kind of like a Dr. Phil, you know what I mean? Or we might reduce Jesus down to kind of like a vending machine where you know we do some things, we do some good, we contribute in some way, and then we expect something in return. Do you know what I'm saying? And yet whenever we do this, we're really avoiding the Jesus of the Bible because that Jesus is a strong warrior king. And I think one of the reasons why we avoid that version of Jesus is because that Jesus demands surrender. That, that Jesus demands sacrifice. One of my best friends is named uh, Brandon Beard, and he's on staff at the church where uh, I serve down in Dallas, Texas. And uh, Brandon is a brilliant individual. He's one of the best leaders that I've ever uh, worked for, and uh, he, he's somebody that's just hilarious as well. But I got to tell you, he certainly has his gifts. His gift is not preaching, though, okay? And he knows it, and so I'm not saying anything that I haven't run by him. He's very well aware of it. Let me just give you an example of, of what Brandon did one time. He was speaking to uh, some high school students, and uh, uh, he was talking about what is required for good relationships. And so he was walking through some different principles throughout the Bible of, of good relationships. And, and all the while as, he, as he's teaching and he's talking, he's making macaroni up on stage, okay, behind this table, okay? Again, not, not primarily his gift, okay? But as he is making macaroni, he is uh, using each ingredient to parallel some kind of biblical principle for relationships. So for example, when he got to the butter, he said, you know, butter, it, it represents forgiveness because in relationships, forgiveness kind of smooths things over. <laughs> Wow, great, you know, and he got to the, the strainer, okay, and he said, strainer, it, it represents truthful, confrontational uh, conversations that you have to have because it, it just kind of, uh, it, it filters out all the mush, you know what I'm saying, and, and about 20 minutes into this message, he, he's building up to his main point, his crescendo, okay, again, he, he's made this, this bowl of macaroni and cheese only, okay, he, he hadn't added the cheese just yet, and so as he's building up to his main point, he holds the bowl up in the air, and he says, all right, I need you to tell me what's missing in this bowl. One student yelled out, he said, uh, the, 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 the cheese sauce, the cheese, you, you haven't added the cheese. He said, that, that's exactly right. There's no cheese sauce. I want everybody in here right now to say cheese sauce with me five times over. Cheese sauce, cheese sauce, cheese sauce, cheese, cheese, Jesus. 
Your relationships are nothing unless you add Jesus to the mix. It's awful, right? He has not preached since then. And I don't know what your experience has been with what you've heard or learned about Jesus in the past, okay? But we have this tendency to just make him an afterthought. Jesus, how how can you serve me? How can you help my finances or or my relationships? And so what we tend to do is we we put Jesus aside and we run our business how we want. We we handle our finances the way that we think best or we treat our neighbors the way that they deserve. And and so we don't let Jesus have control over those things because again, he's just an afterthought. And yet is it possible that that if we repent, if we turn, if, if, we, if we acknowledge our sin and, and we acknowledge that, that Jesus knows better than us, that, that he can actually show us a better way. He can show us how to live the way that we were intended to live. Or can you learn to trust him in your life even if you knew, if you came to really realize and believe that he had your best interests in mind? Let's move on to verse 11. Paul continues to explain what growth looks like. He says, we're praying and asking that you are being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, okay? All right, now we've trained ourselves in our society to always take the path of least resistance, right? But what if we will never grow beyond our threshold for pain? One of my mentors tells me this. He says, Patrick, sometimes I think God measures our faithfulness based upon can you take a punch and get back up with a smile on your face? Can you keep going even even when you want to let go? And so this is another indicator of of growth. Pain becomes a teacher. You, You view suffering, you view difficulty a little bit differently. It helps shape and mold who you're becoming. Do you see the connection that Paul makes in verse 11? Okay. He says growing stronger basically happens through resistance, not, not apart from it. Endurance and patience can only be developed in circumstances where you feel like throwing in the towel and, and giving up. Author Sam Chan says that the classroom for growth is pain. And I've thrown one of these principles uh, up on the screen before that he uh, explains in one of his books that's really applicable for churches and in organizations, but I think it can be true for us personally as well. And I've kept this in front of our staff as we've just walked through some change and pain uh, these past few years. And, and the formula goes like this, okay? Chan says that, that, that growth equals change, okay? Change inevitably leads to loss, right? Loss is painful, it, it hurts, Therefore, if you want to grow, if you want to become who God intends for you to become, it's going to require walking through some heat. Growth equals pain. I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't know what kind of challenge you're facing. But I got to tell you that that when I look back on, on some of the most painful circumstances in my life, that's when I realized that I actually grew the, the quickest. I hate it at the time. Pain makes me lose sleep. It, it can make me self-conscious, self-conscious, but it's incredibly inconvenient, right? But, but I can also say that, that I've never been closer to Jesus when it seems like the fire just won't stop. And if anyone can identify with your pain, if anybody can identify with your suffering, it's Jesus Christ. Because pursuing you meant pursuing pain. 
few weeks ago, I was talking with a couple of our neighbors that, that we really just uh, met, and we were talking in our front yard, and come to find out, uh, this family is about to uh, uh, embark upon the one-year anniversary of when their son lost his life because of a, uh, because of a car accident. I, I had no idea, and I can't imagine the, the pain and the uh, just deafening suffering that they have walked through this past year, and Savannah and I have been praying for them almost every single day that God would comfort them. We've been trying to go out of our way to show them how we care and God cares. And, and you know, one thing that we're praying for, one thing that we're praying for is that they would come to this place in their life where they realize that their father in heaven, whom that they may not know, has more in common with them than they may realize. Why? Because God knows what it's like to lose a son. And you see, it's through the loss that God went through, we can have hope. And it's why Paul would later say that, that when, when we experience the loss, we don't have to grieve like those who, who have no hope. It's why after burying his wife, C.S. Lewis, I think, wrote this, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Right? It, it can teach us. It can refine us as a person if we let it. Well, let's wrap up by looking at verse 12. Paul says, we pray and ask that, that God would continue giving, um, that you guys would give thanks, uh, joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom uh, of light. Okay, right here we're reminded that our salvation actually joins us to be a part of a, a greater eternal family full of people who God has qualified to be his own. But getting along with one another, let's be honest, that's easier said than done, isn't it? And so the last mark of maturity and growth that we can identify from our text goes like this. That, we don't con that unity isn't confused for uniformity. When it comes to the church, when it comes to people that we surround ourselves, we don't confuse unity for uniformity because our tendency is to only surround ourselves with people that think like us, talk like us, uh, vote like us, right? Act like us in, in every area of our life. And, and yet that's not gonna really produce maturity. Immaturity is surrounding yourself with people that, that, that are just like you. Therefore, diversity, diversity avoids us the opportunity to know more about the Lord who made everyone, all people in his image. So let me say it like this. You will never grow beyond the people that you're willing to surround yourself with that make you a little bit uncomfortable. And Jesus built the church so that we could become who we were meant to be all the while experiencing his power in this life. Now, I don't know your story, okay? But becoming the person that you were designed to be is gonna require taking some steps beyond just showing up here on the weekends and sitting through worship and hearing a message and, and then living your life as normal and as usual. You see, at some point, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a psychic, but at some point, it's gonna mean stepping out and joining what we simply call around here small groups. All right, th these little gatherings consist of anywhere from four to 12 people uh, from our church. And small groups meet all throughout the tri-state region in, in homes or in workplaces, okay? And I gotta tell you that, that Savannah and I have been a part of a small group ever, uh, well, shortly after we moved here about five years ago. And, and I don't say this in an exaggerative way, but I, I don't know if we would still be here if it weren't for our small group. You may not know this, but Evansville isn't the easiest place to move to if you're not from here. And those of you that have moved here, you know what I'm talking about. And, 
And during a time when we were going through a lot of loss and loneliness, it was our small group that rallied around us and showed us what being a family, being a part of the church is really all about. And I gotta tell you that just because we joined a group didn't mean that all of our problems went away. No, but it did mean that we were there for each other and we've been there for each other and we're gonna continue supporting each other through thick and thin. One of our closest friends in that group has walked through infertility. Do you know what it's like to pray for a couple for four years that they would be able to have a baby and to go through the frustration of it seeming like God's not listening, God's not intervening, there's little movement happening. And then, okay, after about four years of prayer, for that couple to show up in a small group and, and right before discussion, she opens up and says, hey, we've got an announcement to make. We're, we're pregnant. That's the beauty of being a part of a small group. That, that, that's what the church, the community of God is really all about. I know that sometimes we think we don't really need that because it's a sign of weakness. And look, as impressive as you may be at managing millions of dollars in the workplace, as impressive as you may uh, make your life look on Instagram or or whatever it may be, the, the reality is you are not so great, you are not so great to a point that you don't need a community of people around you to help hold your hands up when when you just want to give up. Small groups hosting a group, leading a group, it's not for everyone. But let me just say this, if you're up for the challenge and you're willing to actually take a risk, here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to consider hosting a group this fall in your home, in your dorm room, in the apartment complex where you live or or where you work, in the office, the hospital, uh, the the factory, and know that anybody can do this. You see, when the church first started, we don't read that there was a first a 10-week training program that the followers of Jesus had to go through. They didn't have to earn some special degrees. No, those first followers of Jesus already had friends. They already had coworkers. And so what they did from that moment on is they simply added some intentionality to those relationships and the result was rich community, which then led to the world being turned upside down because of what Jesus had done. And, and so will you give this a try? Will you not only position yourself to actually grow more, but will you use your influence to help people that you care about grow, grow as well? All right, at the end of each row here and at West, there should be some little cards with the acronym of HOST on it, Okay. I want all of us to take one of these home and I want you to think about and pray about. I'm not asking you to decide in this moment. I'm not asking for your emotions just to take over and for you to be guilted into this, okay? I want you to intentionally think this through and pray through, can I do this this fall? Am I I willing to take a risk? And the next weekend, we're, we're gonna guide you through some next steps, and, and here's the thing. We're not gonna set you up to fail when it comes to hosting a group. We're gonna train you, we're gonna set you up for success, and we're gonna show you what this is like, okay? Because honestly, hosting a group may be the one thing that is keeping you from growing into the person that God wants you to become. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you didn't just come to save us, but you came to give us that, that life that you talked about in John chapter 10 and, and the life that is an abundant life, a full life. You, you came to reclaim what has been lost and, and to restore the life that you originally had in mind for us back before sin entered this world. And, and I know that a lot of us are dealing with some stuff. And sometimes when the pressure's on, it, our tendency is to play it safe. But Jesus, you, you never played it safe. Your entire life was a step of risk 
And so would you help us to just take one more step closer to you that ultimately will help us to become that person that you intend for us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.